Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. For the last four weekends at Hope, we have been studying together through a series called Moses Lessons in Leadership. And we have for a month together been unpacking some biblical principles from the life of Moses regarding leadership. And as I was studying this week to bring this last message in this series to us this weekend, I came across a little cartoon strip by uh, about a young man named Dilbert. Anybody a fan of the Dilbert cartoon strip? I want you to see this. Look up on the screen. I want you to read it. <laughs> Leadership, right? Good stuff. You say, why would you make us read a cartoon about Dilbert? Well, because I wanted to read you a quote by a man named Scott Adams. Anybody ever heard of Scott Adams? Yeah, I didn't think so. He created Dilbert. So without the cartoon strip, you don't understand uh, the quote by Scott Adams. Listen to what Scott Adams said. You don't have to be a person of influence to be influential. In fact, the most influential people in my life are probably not even aware of the things they've taught me. Now, Scott Adams did create Dilbert, the cartoon strip character. But that cartoon strip character now appears in 2,000 newspapers worldwide in 65 countries and 25 different languages. And Scott Adams said, most of the people that have influenced my life, they didn't even know they were influencing my life. When you talk about leadership, sometimes people immediately tune out because they begin to think these historic kind of classroom definitions of leadership. But the definition that we've really been focusing on in this series really came from John Maxwell. Look at this. I'll give it to you one last time on the screen. Leadership is not about titles, positions, and flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. And when we began this journey together four weekends ago, we said that all of us have influence in the lives of other people. So in one essence, in one sense, all of us are leaders. Some of us have leadership roles or influence in the lives of people simply in our home. Some have influence in their community, some in the classroom or the school, some in the job or the workforce or the business that they manage, some in the arena of athletics. But the ultimate reality is that all of us influence the lives of others. And here's what I, I gleaned from Scott Adams' quote. When we've been talking about this for the last four weekends, we all know that we influence the lives of other people, but, but 
there are a lot of people that you influence that you don't even realize. Your influence is greater than you even comprehend or understand. Some of you have listened to me for the last three weeks in this series, and you have kind of drawn a circle around where you think these principles apply because you've identified these are the people that I have influence in their lives. Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to blow up your circle. Scott Adams says that, man, you're influencing a lot more people than you realize, which means these principles that we've been unpacking are that much more significant. We've looked at four lessons that we've learned. Three so far, we're going to finish with the fourth one today. We said, number one, leaders grow in character. Number two, leaders lead courageously despite the challenges ahead. Number three, we looked at last weekend, leaders receive counsel from others. All of these drawn from the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. And This morning, we're going to finish with lesson four. Leaders share responsibility by developing new leaders. I want you to read that out loud with me. Leaders share responsibility by developing new leaders. If you got your Bible, open it to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to jump back into the passage that we began last weekend. We're going to read it again. And as I read it again, uh, some of you were here last weekend. You heard this passage of Scripture read So you've now familiarized yourself with it, hopefully in your personal devotional life as we've been giving you the insight into where we're heading. You've been reading these. So you've been reading this in your devotional time. Here's what I want you to do as I read it this morning, since we're reading this same text again. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks leadership lessons out of this passage, maybe that we're not even going to cover. There's so many here, we can't cover them all. But I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks Some things about leadership. And maybe even on your notes, so you just jot down some things. Maybe that you see about Moses and his leadership as we read these verses. Beginning in verse 13, here's what it says. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. A lot of I and me in those two verses. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and all these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God. You bring the disputes to God. Then teach them statutes and laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, Men of truth, those who, have, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Great statement there. They'll bear the burden with you. Sometimes leadership is a burden. 
But you don't have to do it alone. Verse 23, if you do this thing, and God so commands you, we talked about that last week and how important that statement is, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. So Moses chose men, able men, out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went away into his own land. Last weekend, as we walked through this passage of Scripture together and, and really dug out that first principle about leaders receiving counsel from others, as we walked through the text, I gave you some leadership realities, and I'm going to do that again today, just trying to give you some, some, some sound bites, some nuggets that you can walk out of here with that you can apply into your everyday life. One of them I gave you last weekend was this reality. Leadership may be lonely at times, but it cannot be done alone. It may be lonely at times, but it cannot be done alone. Both last weekend and this weekend, we're talking about leaders in relationship to others. We first of all talked about how we need others because we need their input. We need their counsel. We need them to speak into our lives. And if you weren't here last weekend, I encourage you to go watch that because there's so much wisdom in what we learned from Moses' life about receiving input from others. But we don't just need others to give us input so we can do all the leading by ourselves. We also need others to live out this last principle of sharing responsibility of leadership by developing new leaders. So what I want to do this morning is ask four really big questions to help us unpack this last leadership lesson. Here's question number one. What is it that only you can do as the leader? If you and I are going to, as leaders, people of influence, begin to share that leadership with others, we must wrestle with these four questions if we're going to do that. This first one says, what is it that only you can do as a leader? The first thing Jethro did when he spoke into Moses' life was he began to help help Moses focus on only what he could do as the leader. He helped Moses pinpoint some things that Moses, nobody can do these things like you can do them. Others can do some of these other things. And he said, Moses, what you have to do is begin to focus by spending your time on the things that only you can do as a leader. Andy Stanley writes some great leadership books. If you're a student of leadership books, you need to get some of the ones written by Andy Stanley. Listen to what Andy Stanley said. Look at this quote. Only do. What only you can do. As a leader, only do what only you can do. Let me try to help you sink your teeth into that by letting you see a little bit behind the curtain this morning, all right? I'm going to be real transparent because this is a principle that has really. been one that God in the last two or three years has really just taught me in my own life. About three years ago at Hope, um, I hit a wall. I don't know how else to say it. I just hit a wall. It was a wall of complete physical exhaustion. When you plant a church, it's kind of like having a baby. 
a baby is born, and you know what it's like, right? The first six, eight, nine, ten, twelve months, year and a half, when a baby's born, a new baby's in your house, nobody's getting any sleep, right? I mean, for the first months and months and months, I mean, it's, it's like there's a big celebratory moment when you both wake up and realize we both slept all night, right? I mean, because nobody sleeps when the baby's born. There's just this, everybody accepts it, the reality of a period of exhaustion that is just part of life. You just, everybody that's had kids knows exactly what I'm talking about. I can look right now and see the people that have kids because you're going, oh man, I know exactly what he's talking about, right? Well, when you plant a church, it's a lot like having a baby. There's a period of, of this church is a newborn baby and you are nurturing and it's kind of like having a newborn. You just feel this sense of obligation to a constant involvement. The problem is you can kind of get addicted to that way of living and, and you never move into phase two or three of development. And that's kind of what happened for me. I just got so involved as a leader in what God was doing here at Hope that we went 10, 12 years into this thing of being a church plant and I was still functioning as if it was this brand new baby. And about three years ago, I hit a complete wall. And my wife's sitting over here. She'll tell you, for eight straight days, I didn't get out of bed. I just slept. Uh, she'd bring food to the bed, and I'd put something in my mouth to eat and go back to sleep for eight straight days. Didn't get out of bed. Um, and most of you don't really have any idea this is going on because at that point, I had some people in my life that got around me, and they helped me rebuild my schedule, and I continued to do the preaching responsibility, so the visible role of me as a leader didn't really change much, but behind the scenes took a major step back. They didn't let me do much of anything for a season to just get my own self healthy because I'd hit this wall. And I had to, to learn, here's a leadership reality. Leadership is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you try to run a marathon like it's a sprint, you will not cross the finish line successfully. In any area of your life where there's leadership involved, where you're bringing influence into the lives of others, if you're not careful, you can assume all of that responsibility on your own and you can think it all rests on me. And if I'm not there to be the one to bring that influence, then it's not going to go the way it needs to go. Very much like Moses, I'm the one they have to come to. I'm the one they need to hear. I'm the one who can speak into their life. And if you begin to run your life like that, on that sprint pace all the time, you will not make it to the finish line. So I had some people that got in my life, and they made me wrestle with two questions. It's under this idea of what is it that only I can do as a leader? And here's the way I processed with it in my own life. And I'm I'm just being real transparent to help some of you that I think maybe you're living right where I was living begin to process some of this stuff. Here are the two questions I wrestle with. Number one, what is it at hope that only I can do? There are some things that God's gifted me, wired me to be here in the platform of leadership that God's given me that nobody else can do like I can do. God's uniquely gifted me and wired me and shaped me just like he has you. In whatever position or platform of leadership or influence you have, there are some things. The reason you're there is because God has uniquely wired and gifted you to be in that situation because there are some things that only you can do. And so I had to wrestle with that question. What are some things that only I can do? And here was the second question that really helped me process it. What are you spending time doing 
that someone else could do at least 85% as good as you could do it. Because when you start answering question number one, what is it that only I can do? You can begin to make a really long list. So to help you get past and help me get past some of the ego of question number one, you start going, okay, what are some things that, you know, maybe they could do at least 85% as good as I can do them. And you know what I found out? A lot of those things that I put on that list, they not only did them 85% as good, a lot of the things they did them way better than I could have ever done them. I was stealing from them the opportunity to flourish as a leader because I wasn't sharing the responsibility of leadership with them. And that question helped me really begin to process that in my life. And if you're really going to share leadership with others, let me just, here's where it begins. It begins in some leadership soul searching. We have to look within and say, what is, what, what's God uniquely wired me to do? Who am I? God, how have you shaped me? How have you created me? And then, Lord, what are some things that some others can do? At least 85% is good. And then what you find out is a lot of those people were gifted and wired to do those things, and they wind up doing them way better than you could have ever done them. Howard Hendricks said this, The secret of concentration is elimination. If you're going to concentrate your efforts on some things in your life, You cannot do that without eliminating something. If Moses was going to focus, Jethro said to Moses, Moses, there are some things that only you can do. Moses, if you're going to focus on those things, if you're going to be the best you in the situation that God has called you, if you're going to use the gifts and ability, if you're going to be the best steward you can be of those things, then Moses, you have to eliminate some other things from your life and share that responsibility with other people. Let me tell you what, since we've gone through that at Hope, I went through that. We didn't go through I guess I just went through it. When, when I was going through that, I want to put us all in there together with me. because I, But but makes me feel better about myself that I didn't have to face it by myself. But, but since I've gone through that and, and begun to share responsibility in some ways that I never had before, we've had two of the best years, 2013, 2014, and now into 2015. Two and a half of the best years we've ever had in the history of our church. We've baptized more people, seen more people come to Christ. We have more people in small groups. Our attendance, I mean, it's Labor Day weekend. Look around, it's, it's pretty full in here. The attendance has been going up. The generosity of people, the mobilization of people on mission teams and engaging in our local community. We've planted more churches in the last two or three years than we did in the first 12 years combined. Just all kind. Here's what I learned. I had become a lid. You see, all of us, no matter who we are, only have so much capacity. And if you don't begin to share responsibility with other people, as well-intentioned as you think you are, you become the lid to the health and growth of the platform of influence and leadership that God's given you. So the first question you have to wrestle with is, what are the things that only I can do? You have to answer that question. Here's the second big question you've got to wrestle with. Who's around you that can share the responsibility of leading? Whatever the area of influence that you have, whether it's in the home, 
in the job, at the school, on the ball team, whatever it is. Once you've identified, okay, here's what, here's what God's gifted me. Here's where I'm good. Here's where my strengths are. Here's where my gifts and abilities lie. Now you've got to ask the question, okay, who's around me? See, Jethro went to Moses. He said, Moses, here's, here's number one. Here's what you're good at. Here's where you're gifted. This is where you need to focus. Then he said, Moses, here's what you got to do. You got to find some people around you. Look around you and find those people. Because here's, the, here's what you can't do. You can't make this mistake. Once you identify the things that need to be eliminated from your life as a leader, you can't just quit them and hope that somebody else is going to pick up that baton. You can't just abandon them. There's a process of identifying new leaders and entrusting that leadership to them. Gene Mims said this, The most critical decision you make as a leader is choosing the right people to help you. What a huge statement. The most critical decision you make as a leader is choosing the right people. So Jethro gave Moses some counsel about how to choose the right people. And I'm telling you, when I saw this last week in this passage of Scripture, it is leadership gold in this text. Look at verse 21 again. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In that one verse of Scripture, there are three things that I realized. These are the things that I look for when I'm looking around me to see who's there that can begin to share responsibility. Three things in these verses that are so clear. And two of them are applicable in every situation. Now, one of them... You don't always have the privilege. If you don't work in a Christian environment, you don't always have the privilege of of being able to look for one of these things. I would encourage you, even outside of the church or ministry environments, to, to make it something that you pray about. But you can't always look for one of these. But the other two, you can look for all the time. Here's the first characteristic. It's the word influence. He said, Moses, I want you to find able men. The word able here is a Hebrew word that conveys two strong meanings. One of them is simply the idea of strength. And the other is the idea of influence. When he says, Moses, look for able men, here's what he's saying. Moses, you look for some people that other people are already following. Look for some people who already have influence in the lives of others. Here's what I've learned. If people are not leading where they are, they will not begin to lead once you place them somewhere else. He said, Moses, you need to look for some able men. People who are already having influence. In every situation, in every organization, in every structure, you can identify those people and you just go, you know what, people just follow them. People just, they they just are natural. They just have a gift of influence. They have influence. People listen to what they have to say. So you first of all look for influence, people of influence, people that are already having an effect in other people's life. Here's the second one. This is the one that is kind of limited to a Christian environment or ministry situation, but it's the word intimacy. He didn't say just able men. He said men who fear God. That's people who live in response to God's greatness and in fellowship with Him. 
And in ministry situations, in church circles and in, in Christian circles, I want to know that those I'm entrusting leadership to have a heart to listen for the voice of God. They live their lives in response to the greatness of God, and they live out of the overflow of fellowship with Him. It's why at Hope, one of the things that, that we really value when we're talking about leadership in our church is we want to know that the people that step into those roles have the ability to hear the voice of God in their personal lives, that they're walking with God on a daily basis. We have a stewardship team here at Hope that, that our pastoral team uh, has, has chosen to, to submit to for accountability, wisdom, and insight. That stewardship team has seven men on it, and those seven men represent all kinds of different business acumen. But let me tell you something. The most important thing they bring to that room is not their business acumen. We do an exhaustive interview process with them on the front end to determine that they know how to hear God's voice in their personal lives. We want to know they know what it is to hear the voice of God. That's this principle of intimacy. And here's the third word. It's the word integrity. Men of truth and those who hate dishonest gain. Men of truth. It's a, a Hebrew word that has the idea of faithfulness. Hate dishonest gain. It means they despise increasing wealth in dishonest ways. They're men of integrity. People of integrity. They're faithful. They, what that comes out of their mouth, their lives and their mouth, it's consistent. They hate dishonest gain. Think about those two. When you're beginning to think about, okay, who's around me that I can share responsibility with? In every situation, I would encourage you to look for influence and integrity. That didn't even have to be inside ministry circles. Now, if you're in a situation where you can, somebody that knows the Lord and walks with God, and you can look for that, and it's in a ministry context, that's an extra added blessing, and I think one that should be an ultimate priority in ministry situations. But in every situation, you can look for influence and integrity. Influence and integrity. People who have character. They're faithful. They do what they say they're going to do. They hate dishonest gain. And they're people who are already being listened to and having influence in the lives of others. When, when we went through this here at Hope, one of the examples that I can give you out of my life is Pastor Travis. Pastor Travis was already on our team. Pastor Travis has had just about every job on our staff team except leading worship. And maybe one Sunday, Teddy, we just need to see that. I don't know if... I don't know if Travis is in the room, but he just got real nervous. One of my most favorite moments in Travis's life is we were over at Pebble Campus, Teddy. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Teddy was kind of new on our team, and Travis was stepping up to make the announcement at the welcome, and uh, Teddy did what Teddy does, right? I've learned my lesson. You don't ever know when Teddy's done. So until I know that I know that I know that I know he's done, I stay right over there. Because Teddy will just go back into something again and again and again, and you just don't know when he's done. It just, uh, it's just different. So, so Travis thought Teddy was done. So Travis steps front and center with a microphone, and Teddy goes right back into his moment. And Travis is standing there about as awkward as I've ever seen him in my whole life. It was beautiful. I wish we'd have videoed the thing because it would be great to just pull out and watch. But Travis was a young guy that joined our team in his early 20s and started as a student pastor, became family ministries pastor, and has held a whole bunch of other titles in our fellowship. But when I went through this three years ago, I began to do what I'm telling you right now. I began to look around at those that were around me that were capable of sharing responsibility. You know what I found in Travis? I found influence. 
People already followed him. You have no idea the number of people that actually, when Travis moved here as a 21, 22-year-old to help start helping us in ministry, you have no idea the number of young college students that he'd influenced that just packed up and moved out here and became a part of this work. Some of them are now on our staff team because he just had influence in the lives of other people. They just followed him. They listened to what he had to say. He was a man that had integrity. He had character. And it had been proven not just by the way that he lived, but by the way that he'd responded when he didn't do something right. When you had to sit down and correct him and confront him or teach him something, he was just so right in his response to that. And third, he was a man of intimacy. He was a man that knew what it was. I'd been able to spend years with him and pouring into his life and saw his ability to discern the voice of God. And It was in the process of all that that three years ago we made the change and Pastor Travis moved from another seat on our bus to being what's now called our executive pastor where he leads the day-to-day operations here at Hope and leads our staff team and some things that I'd always done myself. And to be honest with you, prided myself in my ability to do those things. Because I'm a unique senior pastor. I'm, I'm not just visionary like a lot of senior pastors are. I'm also highly detail-oriented, which a lot of people are not that are in my seat. And I wish I wasn't because I'd live longer if I wasn't. But because I am, it's the way I'm wired. So handing some of that stuff off was hard for me. And I'm just telling you, that guy has absolutely blown me out of the water with how he has led our team and the way that he's brought. Amen. Give God praise for that. This is just a little bit behind the scenes stuff, but I wish you could see the, the process that he walks our team through every year that is so full of the Holy Spirit of God and desperate for God's direction in planning an annual calendar and a budgeting process. He has done, he has, he has taken that place. I've never seen anybody do what we do here at Hope. It's unbelievable. And it's one of those things where you look around, you find the people that are there, and you identify them. And that leads me to the, well, let me give you another leadership reality. And, You cannot lead effectively without developing new leaders. You just can't. You can't lead effectively without developing new leaders. I'm going to give you a third big question. We've got to move through this one quick. What's your process for developing leaders? What's your process? It doesn't just happen randomly. You don't just burp them out. You, you, You have to have a process. And Moses here had a process. And what I want to do is give you the four components to his process. Now, all processes are going to look different, but they all have some shared components. And and let me give you some components that were in Moses. Number one, you have to identify new leaders. The Bible says that Moses chose, he chose, the Bible says, able men. In verse 25, Moses chose able men. The word chose here is a Hebrew word that means a choice based on a thorough examination. It wasn't just a haphazard, arbitrary whim where he said, ah, you, 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 and you, come up here. No, he put them through a process of examining them. It was a thorough process. The second part of the process is he equipped them. Look what it said there. He said, Moses, you teach them, in verse 20, and you make known to them. That's two components of equipping leaders. The word teach is a word that means to train. In Hebrew, it's a word that means to warn, to shine. And it's the idea of shining light into things that they may not see. 
So in your process of developing leaders, you got to examine them. You identify who they are. Then you bring them into an equipping process where, number one, you train them. You shine the light into some things that they can't see, and you let them see that through teaching and instruction. But then he said, you have to make known to them. This is a very different word where the word teach is an instruction kind of word. This word make known is a very relational term. It's the idea of letting them into your life so that you're not just teaching them, but you are modeling for them what this life of leadership looks like. You're showing them by example. Here's the third part of the process. Empowering new leaders. You identify new leaders, you equip new leaders, then you empower new leaders. The Bible says Moses made them heads. He made them leaders in verse 26, or excuse me, in verse 25. He made them to be leaders. You have to empower them. You don't give responsibility without authority. I love what Craig Groeschel said in our GLS Summit a few weeks ago. Look what Craig Groeschel said on the screen. He said, whenever we delegate tasks, we are creating followers. Whenever we delegate authority, we are creating leaders. So what Moses did, he didn't just identify them and train them. He empowered them. The Bible says he placed them. He made them. It's the idea of putting them up. He identified them, he equipped them, and then he told everybody else, now I've given them the authority. They're going to lead in these areas. And then here's the fourth component. He coached these new leaders. The Bible says in verse 26, they would do their jobs, but then if they had a difficult problem, they'd come back to Moses. Which means he didn't just equip them and empower them and turn them loose. He maintained communication with them. He stayed in an ongoing relationship in a way that allowed him to be involved and they didn't feel left out on an island by themselves. Those are the four components in every leadership process. You've got to identify new leaders. You've got to equip new leaders. You've got to empower them. And then you have to coach them. You've got to stay involved with them. If you're going to be in, in the process of developing new leaders, that has to be a part of your process. These components are critical. And, and let me just give you another example. I don't know anybody on our team that does this better than the guy sitting right here, Teddy Johnson. Teddy Johnson raises up and develops new leaders and duplicates them like nobody I've ever seen. Teddy Johnson has more talent in one finger than most people will ever have in their lifetime. He could stand. I'm serious. Now, I'm talking to us today, but listen. Teddy Johnson could stand right here every weekend and lead every song all by himself. But you watch what happens here on the weekend. I have people that come up to be the guests and they say, who's the worship pastor here? They don't know because week in and week out, there's so many different people that are leading that you don't know who's leading and who's not leading. You don't know who the leader is. And sometimes I have to get on him because he'll go two or three weeks and he'll just let everybody else lead. And I'll, I'll say, Teddy, you got a gift. You need to lead something. But he's, got a, he's committed to a process of raising up and developing new leaders that is so healthy in the life of any situation, organization, church, ministry, business, home, school, whatever it is. We must have a process. Let me show you this leadership reality. If you, plan, if you fail to plan to develop new leaders, you plan to fail in your mission as a leader. If you fail to plan... To develop new leaders, you plan to fail in your mission as a leader. You can't wait until the moment of crisis when you need to hand the baton to somebody to start the process. If you wait till then, it's too late. If you have influence in the lives of other people right now, you need to have a process where you are raising up and developing 
new leaders. Let me close with this. Fourth big question you got to wrestle with. Why is developing leaders so important? Pastor, why don't we give four weeks to talking about this principle? Well, let me give you some answers to that question. Number one, leaders don't last forever. Let me show it to you. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is, say it out loud. Now therefore, arise. Cross this Jordan. You and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you just as I spoke to Moses. Moses died. Leaders don't last forever. In any situation, in any ministry, in any organization, in any area of influence, leaders are temporary. The best leaders are temporary. That demands of us as leaders that we have a process of developing new leaders. If we don't, our leadership is so self-centered and short-sighted because we will not last forever. So we must be committed. I love the way that, that, that the book of Joshua here opens up. It uses this word servant. It calls Moses a servant of God. But that word is a different word than the word servant that was used to describe Joshua in his relationship to Moses. The word used to describe servant as it relates to Moses is a word that meant serving God as an act of worship. But the word used to describe Joshua as Moses' servant is a word that meant a chief assistant to one in authority. You know what Moses did? He let Joshua in. And he'd made him a chief assistant. And he'd been walking with him. If you read Deuteronomy 31, when God called Moses up to go and have a conversation, he took Joshua with him. Over and over again throughout this study in Exodus, as you read through it, Moses is in a critical situation and he's got Joshua. He'd identified Joshua. When did he identify Joshua? All the way back 40 years earlier when they sent 12 spies into the land. Two of them came back and said, I believe we got it. One of them was Joshua. Moses decided right then, I'm pouring into this guy. And he just walked with him. He walked with him he, to the point where Joshua became known as his chief assistant. Why would Moses do that? Because Moses knew there'd come a point in time when he wouldn't be the leader anymore. Let me give you a second reason why we don't, why we need to develop new leaders. Because God's plans are bigger than my life as a leader. Let me show you a verse of scripture that God used to deeply convict me several years ago. Psalm 33:11. Look what it says. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Read this next part out loud. The plans of his heart. From, You know what that means? God's plan is bigger than my lifetime. What God desires to do in and through every one of us is bigger than every one of us. God has an eternal purpose. An eternal purpose. That we are only a 
very small part of for a very short window of time. And because God's plans are bigger than my life as a leader, i got to have a process of developing new leaders because there's going to come a point in time where God's plan is going to continue, but I'm not a part of it. So I have to raise up new leaders. It's not about us. Here's the third reason. Christ-like leadership demands developing new leaders. I want you to think about this. Jesus' model of leadership. He spent more time focused on succession than he did on success. Nobody would have invited Jesus to preach a church planning conference. At the end of three and a half years, he had 120. But he so trained that 120 that six months later they had 100,000. Jesus was focused on succession more than success. Jesus' whole three and a half years was about raising up 12 leaders. That's what he gave his life to on earth. He poured into men. He, those things that we, the identifying, the equipping, the empowering, the coaching, all that. You see in the life of Jesus. Christ, if I'm going to be like Jesus as a leader, it demands developing new leaders. For four weeks we've talked about this. Let me wrap it by saying this. The prayer God put in my heart this morning. I pray that this has two effects. Number one, I pray that the bar of leadership that hope as a church community has forever been raised. You need to know right now, Pastor Travis, myself, and along with our, our team, we are in the process of developing some leadership pathways for us here at Hope that I, I am, I can't tell you how excited I am about, about what's coming. I can't tell you how. If I start talking about it, I'm not going to be done for the next service. I'm just telling you, I am pumped about what God's given us. And a lot of it's been born through some of our study of Moses and Exodus and then watching our fellowship and seeing some deficient areas and things we need to work on. God's just been teaching us some stuff. I'm so excited about some of the things that are to come in the next few months as we roll some of these things out about development. I'm praying that God would use this. We have Pastor Tom, I don't know if you're in the room, but oh, or somebody can help me. 200 small groups roughly right now. Is that right? Michelle in that ballpark somewhere? Somewhere around 200, 220 small groups that are hope. What if every small group leader had somebody else walking with them? You're raising up another leader. You see, if you begin to realize your small group is not about you having a platform so you can teach and have others listen to you, and you realize that it's an opportunity for you to invest in the lives of others and train and develop new people that can own leadership, then the ministry can become exponential. What if every ministry team leader had a goal of trying to replace themselves. You, you know why I, I share the teaching ministry here at Hope like we do? I, I get feedback. I get people criticize me for it. But you know why we do that? Why we share the teaching ministry here at Hope? Because I have a responsibility to develop new leaders. Shame on me if I get hit by a bus and there's nobody can stand here and open the Word of God. Shame on me. Shame on me if I build it around my personality and charisma. It, it, it has. Amen. I just, I just heard the way that came out. 
But shame on me, right? I mean, because here's the reality. Hope Church was born as a part of the eternal plan of God, which that means it has a life past any one of us. If we build it on us, we have failed as leaders. We failed. So I'm praying that the bar of leadership here at Hope's ever been raised. But let me tell you what else God put in my heart this morning. As I look out here, there are hundreds, all day long today, hundreds of businesses, schools, classrooms represent. What if, what if we took these principles and we took them outside the church and we begin to model a different kind of leadership in our community and we could literally raise the bar of leadership in our city? That's when the kingdom of God's really at work. When the kingdom of God's really at work, it gets outside the walls of the church and the city begins to be impacted. What if we own this? What if every school teacher, what if every business leader, what if every mom and dad, what if every coach, every person represented here took this back to where they're living and started implementing some principles of developing leaders, of of leading with integrity of listening to the voice of God and following the Holy Spirit in leadership, of leading courageously, of developing in character. What if we could could influence the city by raising the bar? What if Las Vegas became a better place to live? Because we raised the bar of leadership in our city. May it be so. And here's what's awesome. It's all right out of the book. It's what God gave us. These aren't some leadership principles we came up with in a whiteboard session. It's in the book. God is wise if we'll just listen.